Good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. And grace and peace to us all. In the name of Christ our Lord, who calls us to this time of worship to continue in our Lenten journey, journey with one another to the cross of Christ, and there see again the depth of God's love for us all. It's a joy to share with you in this time of worship. Welcome to all, and just a reminder of the registration pads because it helps us to know of your participation in this time of worship. And I also lift before you other opportunities, especially in this Lenten season. The um, midweek services each Wednesday at noon that are uh, held here have been wonderful times of worship for all who have participated. So I invite you again. We have three of those services remaining. This coming Wednesday, Lil Guybe, a retired pastor who is serving a couple of churches on the Danville District at this time, uh, will be leading worship for us Wednesday at noon. Also a reminder of the Lenten study on the Gospel of John each Wednesday evening at 5.30. And do give attention to other opportunities as they are before us, especially as we anticipate Palm Sunday and Holy Week and uh, significant times of worship there. We see before us the uh, representation of the prodigal son. As we share from uh, the Bible this morning, we will share from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, uh, speaking of the way in which God reaches out to reconcile us to himself, and that artwork anticipates that time of worship for us. I invite us to prepare to worship God together.
Let us stand as we share in our call to worship. Come, let us celebrate the forgiving, reconciling love of God. For once we were lost and so far away, now we have been found and welcome home. Know that God's love is lavished upon you forever. We rejoice in the news of forgiveness and hope. Come, let us celebrate and praise the God of love.
I invite us to go to God as we pray our opening prayer before us. God of the lost, the least, and all who long for home, when we wander from your ways and waste the gifts you have given, welcome us back so that we may celebrate and rejoice in your presence. Through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Amen. Our Lenten wreath is before us, and our Spent, the Spencer family will lead us in the extinguishing of the Lenten candles at this time. And we see that our sung response will be the fourth verse of Ah, Holy Jesus. On this journey through the season of Lent, we experience some times of trial. We remember the temptation of Jesus. We remember the sadness of Jesus as his people reject him. We remember that despite our faith in Jesus, we still know what it is like to suffer. Still, in the midst of the long days we know in this season, God comes to us as a God who is, not, who is with us, not only in darkness, but as a God who also rejoices with us. This is so because God is always looking for us, and God ultimately finds us. Having found us, God rejoices in the most joyous of ways. God celebrates finding the lost and invites you and me to share in this joyous celebration. Like a widow finding a lost coin. Like a shepherd finding a lost sheep. Like a father finding a lost child. God celebrates finding each of us who is lost. Such is the love for, of God for us, that it, his joy in finding us knows no limits. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you seek us until you find us. We pray that we would share in the joy you feel at finding the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. share from the New Testament, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, words speaking to reconciliation, reconciliation we see as we share from the Gospel of Luke later on. Let us pray. Lord, we are here because you have reconciled us to yourself. You have reached out to us in your love, and you speak to us of your love for us as we gather as your people, worshiping you. May your voice be the voice we hear above all others. Amen. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of our Lord.
I'll invite our children to come down as we share in our children's time. being here. You're very handsome, yes. Very nice. Very nice, very handsome and beautiful. Oh, well, thank you for being here. I'm, I've got something that's very important to me. You see what this is? It's a pen. I've had this pen a long time. A long time. It, it's longer than any of you all have been around. It, it's a gold pen and I just enjoy it, and it's very special to me. And you know there are those times where I have misplaced my pen or lost it and got all anxious and upset, and it might be several days, it might be a week, but there it would be behind a piece of furniture or somewhere in the car, and I get the pen back. Do you know how I feel then when I find it? It could be in your car, yes. But you know how I feel when, when I find the pen? Very happy, very happy, and, and I want to make sure I don't lose it again. Well, let me ask you, are, do you have something that's very special to you that you, that you might have lost and, and then were uh, happy to find it again? Is there something real special that, have you had that experience of losing something and then, there it is, I found it. Yes. Your scorpion keychain, Okay. <laughs> Well, we all have that experience, and I share that because we're going to share from the scriptures, uh, from the Gospel of Luke today, and, and there are actually three stories in, of, of how God rejoices at finding that which he had lost, and that third story we call the prodigal son because there's a son who goes off and, and, and just makes some bad decisions, some bad choices, but he comes back home, and dad is just so thrilled that his son has come back. And we get this picture of a God who is so happy when we come back to him. So as we look at those things that are very important to us, whether they're pens or keychains or toys or, or animals even, and we feel great joy at, at finding that which was lost, we have this idea of how much God loves us and how God rejoices at finding all that he has lost. So I thank you, and I'm going to ask that we pray. And if you'll... Uh-huh. I'm glad, and you were happy, right, that Lizzie came back. Okay. Well, let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you find us and that you rejoice in finding us. Bless us all as your children, and may we know we are always with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, children.
we share from the Gospel of Luke, we'll share the 15th chapter, verses 1 and 2, and then 11 through 32. We hear the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and a dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, lo, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of our Lord. Well, allow me to ask for a show of hands here. Who among us is the second-born child in our respective families? All right. Well, those of you who have raised your hands may be interested in an article I recently found online, an article from Southern Living, an article titled, Second-born children are more likely to be rebellious, according to science. The article begins by telling us, 
Second-born children have long been believed to be the troublemakers in the family, and now there's scientific evidence to back up that theory. According to a study by MIT economist Joseph Doyle, second-born children are indeed more likely to exhibit rebellious behavior, and that goes double for second-born boys. I find the results to be remarkable that the second-born children, compared to their older siblings, are much more likely to end up in prison, much more likely to get suspended in school, enter juvenile delinquency, Doyle told NPR. To come to this conclusion, Doyle analyzed data sets from families in both Denmark and the state of Florida. I guess because, who knows? And as he wrote, despite the large differences in geographic area and environments, the findings were remarkably consistent results. In families with two or more children, second-born boys are on the order of 20 to 40% more likely to be disciplined in school and enter the juvenile criminal justice system compared to first-born boys, even when we compare siblings. The data allow us to examine a range of potential mechanisms, and the evidence rules out differences in health and birth and the quality of schools chosen for children. So there. According to no less an authority than Southern Living, we have scientific proof as to why rebellious second children are in fact rebellious second children. But we really don't need that esteemed academic journal, Southern Living, to verify what we have long suspected to be true, do we? Now, it's true there are times we need Southern Living if we're going to bake a red velvet cake or decorate the living room or trim the hydrangeas. Then we need Southern Living. But we don't need the Southern Living to tell us about rebellious second children. We've got the Bible to do that. Yes, we have the Bible to tell us of those rebellious second children. For it's the Bible that tells us of Abel, the younger brother, the favored one of God, and of how Cain, the older brother, so envious, so bitter, that he has to dispatch his younger brother in the field. It's the Bible telling us of Ishmael, the older son, of Abraham and how older brother is resentful and vengeful against the second child, Isaac, and all his descendants. It's the Bible telling us that the older son of Isaac, Esau, despises the younger brother, Jacob, that mischievous, rebellious, usurping cheat, who through his cleverness and conniving ways stole the blessing and birthright due the older brother. And it's the Bible telling us that even Joseph, the youngest son of Jacob, serves as something of a second child to all those older brothers. And we remember that Joseph was so curried the favor of his father so as to invite the wrath of these older brothers who faked Joseph's death and peddled him off to Egypt. And it's in the Bible we find this story we share from the Gospel of Luke, a story told by Jesus, 
a story I suspect we've heard. This story about a father who had two sons, the younger and older. Story of, of great family drama. Drama presented in basic, matter-of-fact form. A man had two sons, and the younger of these sons, the rebellious second child, remember, asked Dad for his share of the inheritance. And Dad complies with the request of this son. In fact, he divides his living between both sons. And in a few days, the second child gathers all his stuff, heads off to a far country, throws it all away. Terrible famine arises in this country and the younger son is in lack of all necessities and joins himself to a citizen of that country, a citizen who sends him in the field to feed the pigs. So desperate is the plight of this young man, he wishes he could even eat the seed pods upon which these pigs feed and he comes to himself decides to return to dad, confesses unworthiness, asks simply to be treated as a hired servant. Upon his way home, his dad sees him from a distance. Stirred by compassion, dad runs to him, hugs him, kisses him. The younger son humbly confesses, but dad calls to the servants, bring the best robe for him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, Kill the fatted calf. We're going to blow the roof off this place. Now this younger son, remember, has an older brother. You know the older, obedient, play-by-the-rules child. And of course, while dad and younger brother and everyone else is partying, older brother is working diligently in the field. Drawing near the house, he hears the music, the dancing, asks one of the servants, what gives? The servant tells him, older brother is angry, refusing to have anything to do with this. And dad comes outside, asks him to join the party, and older son replies, I've served you, never disobeyed you, but when this wasteful and disobedient son of yours comes back, treat him like a king. Dad says, all I have is yours, and it, it's right to celebrate, for this brother was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. Quite the drama. Father raising two sons, the younger of the sons, wanting to leave home to start life anew, live on his own, and older son dutifully tending to chores at home, while the younger son, according to him, wastes his father's living with harlots. The younger son, having wasted all, comes to his senses and returns home. He's got no other choice. He wants to save himself. So the second son, who has acted immaturely, impulsively, sees he has no choice but to return home where he will receive the punishment due him, right? Isn't that what should take place? It's true. There are few stories we love more than this. But it's understandable if we wonder why it is we have such affection for this story. Because there is something offensive here, isn't there? It's an offense that we may try to resolve by editing the story, 
What I mean here is that we, we may decide to, to stop with our reading of this parable before we get to the end. And that occurs quite often, this decision to stop reading this parable at the point where the younger son returns and with the father's declaration that it's time to throw the most extravagant of celebrations. And we understand why we might want to stop there. It seems to be an appropriate ending place. It appears to be uh, they all lived happily ever after moment. Dad says the son was dead, it's alive, was lost, he's found, it's time to party. End of story. And no doubt many who preach on this parable decide to stop right there. To do so provides a happy ending. And to stop at that point also does this. It prevents us from having to deal with the fury of the older son. But we notice, given the option of stopping at this place of celebration, Jesus does not end his parable there. Because remember, the man has two sons, and we've got to deal with this reaction of the older brother. A reaction in which this older brother makes clear he doesn't believe a celebration upon the return of this younger brother is right. In fact, as the parable concludes, we see the brother as one who is angry, and we're not told he accepts the invitation of the father to attend the party thrown for little brother. True, we're inclined to, to fuss at the older brother for his attitude toward this celebration. But would any of us suggest that the older brother doesn't have a valid point? We understand. The young man returns, having blown everything, a response of party and celebration hardly seems fitting. To respond in such a way as this, doesn't it seem like we're condoning this behavior? To throw a party upon the return of one who behaved as this young man behaved? How is he ever going to learn? Should there not be consequences for his behavior? Throw a party, what kind of message does that send? Taking offense at the grace shown by the father upon the return of the younger son, we understand. But could it be? This is a story not about the prodigal son, but a story about the prodigal father. Could it be this is a story about a father who takes the greatest of delight in rejoicing at a child who was lost but is now found? You know we are given three opportunities to get this point. Jesus first tells us about a shepherd who having lost one sheep leaves the other 99 to find that lost one. I'm going to risk losing these 99 sheep to find the one that's lost. And having found this sheep, he calls friends and neighbors to celebrate. Then Jesus tells us about a woman who, having lost a coin, 
is not content simply because, well, I've got nine other coins. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house until she finds her lost coin. But she's not content just to have found it. She's going to call friends and neighbors and rejoice at having found that which was lost. And now Jesus tells us about a father who finds a son who is lost. And again, the finding of the lost calls for the most extravagant of celebrations. Well, we, we understand older brother. But a closer look at the story tells us that when dad gave the inheritance to younger brother, he did the same to the older brother. And we also see that dad goes out to ask him in to the party. You're welcome here. This is your party too. But as the parable concludes, we don't know if the older son ever joins in the celebration. Well, regardless of the order of our birth, there's nothing we can do to change the nature of our father. He withholds nothing from any of his children. And he will seek until he finds. He will even take great risk to find the loss, and he will lose no one. And then when he finds us, the most extravagant of celebrations. So we're invited to share in the most gracious of celebrations by the most gracious of hosts who makes room for us all, and the one who gives to each of his children everything he has. Will we share in that celebration? We respond to the word by affirming our faith with words of scripture from Romans 8. I invite us to stand as we share in this affirmation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. no. In all things, we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. We are sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, we welcome one another. We pass the peace of Christ. As we find our places, we prepare to receive God's tithes and our offerings.
I'll invite our ushers to come forward. pray. Lord, such is your love for us that you withhold nothing from us, not even your own son. We thank you for this opportunity to worship and serve you through our giving and pray that this returned into your care accomplishes much for the gospel of Christ. Amen.
You may be seated. We uh, prepare to go to God as we pray. We do so with the prayers of the people. I will speak various petitions of prayer and conclude each with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and invite from you the response, hear our prayer, and then we pray together as Christ has taught us. And I invite you to name those concerns you feel led to offer as we go to God as we pray. Let us pray. Thank you, God, that you have found us, that you seek us and will not let us go. And Lord, we pray that we would be those moved to celebrate, to share in your joy at having found the lost. Forgive us, Lord, when we can be resentful or bitter because of your grace shown others. Work within us by your spirit, touch our hearts, so that we may realize we have all been lost, we have all gone into far countries, we've wasted what you've entrusted to us. But you're a God who will not let us go, and you are a God who rejoices in finding all who were lost, even us. Lord, in your mercy, and hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation, Lord, in your mercy. Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble, Lord, in your mercy. George Amy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, its mission. Lord, in your mercy. Bishop Lewis, Bishop Weaver, Janine Howard, Denise Bates, Ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. And Lord, hear our prayers gathered with the prayers of all your saints, those present with us and praying with us as Christ is taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We stand as we sing. We go as a light into this community and beyond, and we go as those who have been found by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.